Welcome to Policy Pod, P-O-R-F podcast. The Ideas Factory is an exclusive series by ORF that delves into the big geopolitical events that affect India and the world. Hello and a very warm welcome to the very first episode of the Ideas Factory in this new year. We wish you all a very happy new year. I'm Nakma and joining me on this episode of the Ideas Factory is Professor Harsh Pant. Well, as the world stepped into the new year, 2022, we also saw the entry of a new variant of COVID-19, the Omicron. And as the world was heaving a sigh of relief that the infections due to COVID-19 were probably decreasing. The world was opening up. The economy was striving to revive. Uh, the new variant has again pushed countries across the world to impose social and economic restrictions and some places also locked down. COVID-19 during the past year and the year before that has, of course, disrupted the supply chains. It has altered uh, the global order. It has affected the relationships, the alliances and um, it has also seen the emergence of new powers. Uh, it has affected the global health. So, uh, in fact, the entire world witnessed a lot of change during these years. Now, uh, what uh, what major changes did we see last year? How is it going to affect the uh, uh, the you know the the geopolitics of the world this year. This is what we are going to look at this very first episode of the Ideas Factory. A very warm welcome to you, Harsh, and a very happy new year. Happy New Year to you, Nagma. Uh, Harsh, I would uh, like to uh, start uh, by you actually analyzing what were the major global trends that we saw last year. We saw that the struggle for supremacy between the existing uh, superpower that was America and its challenger, the China, has actually widened in all spheres, be it artificial intelligence, be it the technological warfare, uh, you know, China also seizing all opportunity that it could to establish that it was uh, ideologically better than the U.S., the internal strife that we saw in U.S. So what was, uh, how did the global power really change or shift during the last year? And do you see it going forward this year? Nangma, it seems that, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, changes that were already in the offing uh, before COVID-19 struck us have been certainly accelerated by this in the last year and a half. Uh, and now as we enter another year with another strain, uh, which is uh, wreaking havoc at the moment uh, around the world and in, even in India, uh, I think uh, it's fair to say that uh, COVID-19 itself has been one of the biggest disruptors to the global order in ways that I don't think uh, we had envisioned uh, when, it's, when, it, when it, it all began. So I think uh, the, the larger global reality today uh, looks, uh, you know, uh, very, very uh, dynamic because every single day is bringing a whole host of challenges. And the crisis that started off as a health crisis uh, you know, is also now turning into a wealth crisis. There is a crisis of, uh, you know, there is an economic crisis around the world. Eco economies are struggling. And just when you thought economies are going to get back on track, economic activity is going to get back on track, uh, another strain has struck us. Uh, and, and countries are recalibrating, you know, what to do, how, how much to, uh, you know, what kind of restrictions to put in place. And there is a, you know, there is a state-society mm -hmm. conflict brewing around this, this issue as well. 
we are seeing for example in europe uh, people not abiding by those the restrictions protesting against vociferously against restrictions and, and almost uh, a kind of an oppositional stance that is being taken uh, partly because i think of just the frustration of being in house for the last two years but also the way uh, their economic activity is being hampered so I, i i don't think we have seen the end of it yet but you know of course the virologists are talking about the, the fact that perhaps this might be the last strain uh, and it will become an endemic uh, you know strain later on but we don't know really uh, but what it has done is it has uh, put you know uh, it, it has underscored the real challenge in global politics which is that the contestation between uh, the us and china to which you alluded to uh, which always you know great power politics is always at the heart of international geopolitical alignments and and, and contradictions that has become much sharper Uh, and every uh, for the last two years we have seen uh, what is interesting is two different governments in washington uh, trump administration and then um, biden administration both taking more or less similar approach to china many you know last year when mr biden had come to office many had expected that perhaps he will uh, tone down uh, the the you know the rhetoric and the stridency with which uh, washington is challenging china but that has not happened uh, washington has become even more um, you know uh, even washington is articulating even more strongly its displeasure and is willing to go where perhaps mr uh, trump was not willing to go for example on uh, on the weaker issue uh, and and the on the issue of xinjiang and we know the diplomatic boycott of the winter olympics uh, has been you know uh, has been declared by washington and a few other countries so clearly i think the fault lines are sharpening between the two powers and its impact is being felt and will be felt in almost all spheres uh, economics uh, climate uh, uh, you know technology uh, the, the the larger uh, focus uh, of alignments and uh, uh, partnerships and i think uh, for any country that is looking at the world today uh, this is going to be a, you know 2022 perhaps is going to be uh, even more turbulent because on the one hand you have the us china contestation but as we start this new year we are also looking at russia and the west a uh, contestation on ukraine uh, which is equally important uh, and equally interesting absolutely the, the conflict between russia and the west has also sharpened and russia still towards the east is also more visible but when we look at the us and as you pointed out that the new biden administration took charge and then there were hope and people were expecting that there would be major changes but except for the few executive orders in the first few days of uh, biden in office not much has changed in terms of global policy you pointed out to uh, the policy towards china which has in fact continued from the past whatever was trump's policy in fact it has sharpened the fault lines have uh, sharpened the w- another thing that we see is the focus of biden administration is also on the indo pacific uh, more to contain china probably or uh, the rising china the rise of china which actually uh, we saw that it consolidated during the pandemic here uh, while most of the country and the rest of the world was struggling and um, they were in turmoil the chinese economy of course went up and down but it was more or less better than the rest of the world also china took this opportunity to uh, reiterate its supremacy and how east is supreme uh, or better than the west uh, so focus on indo pacific continues Uh, how, how do you see the Indo-Pacific region in this coming year? The balance of power there. 
Well, I think Indo-Pacific, you know, as uh, as many people have pointed out, certainly, and it has become a cliche now to say that it is the center of gravity of global politics and economics. Uh, and because it is the is, it is the you know uh, center of gravity now, I think the contestations in the Indo-Pacific. Uh, are going to be much sharper, and uh, that is what, in fact, last year, uh, that you know, one of the big, uh, I think, highlights of last year was that how this quadrilateral security dialogue, the so-called Quad, really came on its own. Uh, you know, two um, leaders level summit in a year. It's quite unprecedented for any platform that was, uh, you know, before 2021 was actually struggling to come to terms with itself. So really uh, what Biden administration has done is to give a quad a new momentum. And it's with that, it's Indo-Pacific policy, a new sharpness, because I think uh, they have largely carried on from, uh, uh, you know, the uh, Trump administration's free and open Indo-Pacific outlook, but where Trump was not investing or was not really keen on investing in multilateral or, or uh, plurilateral initiatives, uh, Biden administration has really picked up, uh, you know, taken up that challenge and is looking at Quad as the centerpiece of their larger Indo-Pacific uh, approach. How far it succeeds, whether it will work or not, remains to be seen. But if you look at the agenda that the Quad leaders have charted out for themselves, it is quite ambitious. And I think in a, in a certain in a way which is quite clever, they are not making it entirely about China. They are making it about the provision of certain kinds of public goods, for example, vaccines, health infrastructure, connectivity, trade. I think those issues which the Indo-Pacific countries, the regional states care about and where China has been able to make a dent and, may, and has been able to uh, you know, convince various countries in the region that it is a better provider of these goods than perhaps uh, you know, uh, Quad countries or other uh, countries like America. And I think there the initiative uh, of Quad, there the approach of Quad makes a lot of sense and they, they will have to deliver fast. I think 2022 in particular is an important deadline for vaccine diplomacy, where they want to scale up uh, vaccine supplies, uh, in not only in the Indo-Pacific, but around the world. And I think the world will be watching, given the given the tenuous uh, nature of this virus, to see how, how effective Quad is in managing that, that particular challenge. And if it is able to do that well, then I think that uh, as, as an alternative, uh, it can emerge. But I think largely as, as, as uh, you know, Indo-Pacific had been uh, the focal point of a lot of global attention along with Quad, we, we saw a lot of controversy around AUKUS, Australia, uh, US, UK, uh, um, you know, submarine deal, uh, which was which, which slightly on the, you know, hard side of the uh, 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 you know, trilateral relationship in the Indo-Pacific. But I think that is going to be the nature of the game with new minilaterals, new plurilaterals emerging in the region because th there is a void of institutions in the region in the Indo-Pacific at the moment. And China, as you, as you pointed out, is actually not uh, leaving any stone unturned in shaping the regional architecture to its own advantage, whether by pushing, coercing other countries or by becoming a supplier of, of, uh, of public goods like infrastructure and connectivity. So I think this is going to be a very, very crucial time for those who want to uh, challenge China, those who want to stand up to China, to see that there are alternatives in place that can deliver. And I think that contestation in the Indo-Pacific is going to get even sharper. And with Biden administration focused on the Quad in particular and on China, 
uh, I think this, uh, you know, this, 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 I think approach, this contest has just about begun in the region. So I think 2021 will, uh, will also give us some insight into what those developments that happened in 2021, how they fructify and how they move forward. Yeah, how they fructify in 2022 now, this is what we are going to uh, see. But as you pointed out, the trends are very, very clear. We look at how the year 2021 was. And as you say, the hush that the the fault lines are sharpening and also in the Indo-Pacific. Uh, you know, the, the problem that you see now is... Uh, uh, for the countries, uh, which camp do they join? Are they two? Is the world again turning to be bipolar because uh, the the U.S. and China conflict or competition or the fault side between the two widening has also put pressure on the global order, or uh, it's also kind of pressurizing the countries to to balance between the two. So if we look at India too, India is seen as a national ally of the U.S. and Russia still towards China, or rather rather China getting close to Russia. But at the same time, the Indian-Russian relationship uh, has uh, history and also it's really pragmatic now. We've seen the visit of President, President Putin, uh, uh, signing of deals, the S-400 and all of that. But do you see that there is this pressure on countries like India to balance between the two? Uh, indeed, I think, uh, you know, whenever you have a structural environment where you have two blocks emerging like the ones that seem to be emerging at the moment, there is a lot of pressure on, on, on countries um, that want to retain their strategic autonomy. And I think uh, what is interesting, however, is, is if you look at, for example, the Indo-Pacific, a lot of the heavy lifting has been done by the so-called middle powers, right? Australia, Japan, India, and certain countries in, in ASEAN, they've actually pushed, uh, you know, this, this uh, you know, the strategic map of the region uh, in, in a direction that perhaps both China and the U.S. Uh, would not have done on their own. Now, uh, especially U.S., because U.S., uh, there was a lot of criticism, there was a lot of concern that U.S. is tilting inwards that U.S. is becoming more and more inward-looking, that because of the domestic dysfunctionality in the U.S., where the polarization uh, remains very, very high, there, there is hardly any appetite uh, in terms of cohesive um, uh, you know, pushback against China. There, I think, uh, the role of countries like India, Australia, Japan, and Southeast Asian nations have been quite critical in giving this message to, um, to the U.S. that they are important for them. It is important for the U.S. to engage, and it is important for the U.S. to take a leadership role in the region. So I think middle powers have been able to carve out a space for themselves, even in this very, very polarized in, uh, regional uh, and in global order. But I think where the pressure is only going to increase in the future is, as you point out, when you have a problem like the one that, that is being witnessed at the moment, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the U.S. camp, uh, uh, the Western camp versus Russia, for example, I think the, the pressures become um, very, very serious. And India, I think, in some ways, has so far managed it quite effectively. Uh, because if you look at, you know, the, 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 the last year, 2021, it started uh, with lots of differences between India and Russia. You know, Russians were quite vocal on Indo-Pacific. They were quite vocal on Quad, where they were taking positions which were very similar to the Chinese positions. But by the end of the year, if you see Putin's visit, uh, a lot of these uh, wrinkles uh, have been sorted out. Uh, because I think what happened in between was Afghanistan. And the realization that American uh, Americans moving out of Afghanistan actually leaves the region very, very vulnerable. 
And for, for the regional states like uh, Russia, Central Asia, India, uh, the importance of engaging with each other, the importance of working together in making uh, the Taliban regime more responsible, uh, I think that pressure is already visible. That pressure is visible in the way the two uh, India and Russia are engaging with each other. Uh, India's outreach to Russia and Russia's outreach to India is also equally significant. So I think the, that balancing that India has been able to do between Russia and the West so far has worked. Now, how far uh, that the, you know that will continue and how effective this will be as uh, the fault lines sharpen, that remains to be seen. But uh, I think so far India has been able to give the sense to Russia and give this give the sense to the West that India is into what are called issue based coalitions. India wants to work with like-minded partners on issues of convergence and India is not willing to abandon partners. So, yeah. you know, like S-400 deal, for example, is a good, uh, you know, is, is a good example where India has stood up to the West and said that this is not only important for uh, Indo-Russian relations, it is also important for India's own capability building. Yeah, while, yeah, of course, and uh, while the relationship uh, relation with uh, of Russia with the West continues to decline and there is a tilt towards the East that we see the standoff at, at the Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian border, that also continues uh, uh, there is a, we've also witnessed a consolidation of authoritarian political system in Russia. So uh, that continues. And in fact, uh, the U.S. has also probably made a statement about uh, uh, intervening if this uh, problem continues in Ukraine. You pointed out, uh, Hutch, about what's happened in Afghanistan and the hasty U.S. withdrawal and how has it affected the entire region. Of course, countries like Russia, India, uh, for uh, these countries, it's a major concern. Uh, but we've also seen a flurry of activities in the Middle East. Uh, you know, the diplomacy there, the visits there, the, the countries coming together, the regional alliances getting actually stronger. Uh, you know, the Abraham Accord actually fructifying in many ways. Israel's visit to UAE. Uh, so this is also, we can say, the result of what happened in Afghanistan and the declining role of America in Afghanistan, that these countries have been, do you think, compelled to come together? Uh, yes, I think there is a, there is a, <coughs> excuse me, there is a great concern in the region about, uh, you know, the, the whole structure that has operated there for so long, uh, with, with, with America being the central pillar around which the regional architecture has evolved. Now, uh, what has happened in Afghanistan has actually put a lot of pressure on regional states to carve out their own responses to this challenge. And America is, you know, uh, uh, which, whichever way America moves, there are clear indications that America is, is prioritizing Indo-Pacific over the Middle East. For a long time, Middle East had been the, this very important priority for the U.S. But if you see the statements, if you see the policy postures, if you see the military posture, it's very clear where America is going to go over the next few years and what American priorities are going to be. So it is not surprising that regional stakeholders in the Middle East are shaping their own responses. Uh, and in, in, in an interesting way, another quad in the Middle East, uh, India, US, uh, Israel and the UAE, a very unusual um, sort of an arrangement. But I think an arrangement that speaks to the challenges of our times and to the way the, the Middle Eastern architecture is shifting. The Abraham Accords and the fact that Israel and UAE are coming so close 
uh, tells you another story about the region that it is how it is uh, reaching out uh, uh, how it is trying to shape the 21st century realities both economic as well as strategic so i think india's role there is also going to be equally interesting and equally important and india's uh, engagement in that particular quad also signifies i think a certain ambition in india to play a role uh, i think slightly bigger and slightly more formidable than it has played in the middle east in middle east so far so far uh, india had primarily been looking at middle east with bilateral relations whether it is israel whether it is uh, the gulf arab gulf countries or whether it is iran i think today india is willing to expand and to look at the region more holistically in through a regional framework and therefore this this quadrilateral framework that is being evolved uh, i think uh, gives you a certain sense of india's priorities in the region absolutely now to uh, sum up harsh if we look at what has happened in the past and the global trends that we discussed uh, if we look at some of the uh, the, the big questions uh, vis-a-vis india you know the india china relationship uh, uh, we also look at what's happening in the middle east and india's role there uh, how do you think our uh, is the balance of power between countries going to change in this coming year what are the major trends that you can actually uh, point at uh, nagma i think uh, you know the most important challenge and most important uh, issue for india remains what it was last year which is china and in in a sense that challenge has been with us now since 2020 because the way um, chinese power has manifested itself the way it has pushed us and provoked us and poked us on the border along multiple fronts uh, i think is a testament to the power disparity between india and china and that is being reflected in various ways every every day you hear a new story in the media about what chinese are doing on their side of the border what they are building what kind of in- infrastructure they are creating so i don't think that pressure is going to go away anytime soon and india will uh, is already living with that pressure every day so i think the 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 opportunity and 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 the and the challenge for india is how do we carve out <coughs> external partnerships that help us in managing the, uh, you know this uh this chinese challenge and also how do we build our own capacities in ways sometimes with the help of other countries but also sometimes with things where we are developing our own innate uh, domestic capability so i think that challenge is going to be the fundamental uh, prism through which indian foreign policy and security policy is likely to evolve in 2022 much like it did in 2021 Uh, absolutely so uh, we will look at we will keep a track of all those developments on the coming episode of the ideas factory thank you so much harsh for that analysis and we would like to remind our viewers that you can send in your questions definitely we'll take a few questions on the next episode thank you so much thank you for tuning in to policy pod the orf podcast please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes